Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Just a note, before we get into it, this next interview was done prior to the announcement over the weekend that the Therapeutic Goods Administration has provisionally approved the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for children aged 5 to 11. However, the information following does remain relevant, so let's have a listen. Twenty twenty one has been a very uncertain year for everyone, but particularly for those with children. Will the daycare be open? Can we send our kids to school? The question is, how much more certain will next year be? Most of the adult population in Australia is now vaccinated, and children over twelve are getting vaccinated, but our youngest kids remain unvaccinated. Before we break for the year, I wanted to get an update on where we're at with vaccination and our youngest kids. Dr. Asha Bowen is an infectious disease paediatrician at Perth Children's Hospital and the Telethon Kids Institute. Hi, Asha, how are you? Great, thanks for having me, Siobhan. It's a pleasure. Now, as a parent, it can feel that our kids are particularly vulnerable uh, to the coronavirus and the different variants that are appearing. What's the latest information about how sick kids are getting now that they're the only ones who essentially remain unvaccinated or who who can't vaccinate? Siobhan, that's a great question. And um, I think there's two parts to it. What we have seen is that the case numbers for children, particularly those under 10, have increased Um, in 2021. Partly, I think the Delta variant has been um, more infectious and so therefore there have been more infections detected in young children, partly because adults have been rapidly vaccinated throughout the course of 2021 and partly because the way in which the transmission of particularly the Delta variant has been very household-based. So Almost 70% of people living with a household, if one person's infected, will get infected. And so we have seen a lot more cases in children this year. You asked about what will it look like with the new variant, and we're just starting to piece that together now. So it's really early information that it looks as though there will be a, a lot of infections across the different age groups, but it so far the very early preliminary information is that it doesn't look like it's an any more severe than previous variants. We have a long way to go to understand it better because right now we've had about a week of knowledge of this variant. So there's a lot more information still to come. You also asked about kids and how sick they are getting. And the really good news for families, and I hope that this continues to reassure families, is that whilst infection numbers have increased this year, children on the whole are not getting particularly sick with COVID. So we know that a very, very small proportion, probably between 1% and 2% of all the infections in children and young people may need hospital-level care, and the hospitals have been well able to provide that care. The majority, so 98%, will need a lot of home-based care and rest 
Panadol, paracetamol, fluids, and making sure that um, little ones are drinking well are the supportive measures that are needed at home. So for most families, a diagnosis of COVID in a child will result in, I guess, the need for TLC, the need for making sure your little one's um, feeding well, making sure they're drinking well, making sure that you're managing fevers with Panadol, but probably won't need to go to hospital. The things that parents can look out for to understand whether their child might need to go to hospital would be things such as really fast breathing. And so if your child's breathing faster than what they normally would, and you can see that they're struggling to breathe or working hard to breathe, then that would be a reason to take them to hospital and get them checked out. In the hospital data this year, we've seen a couple of hundred children admitted to hospital. And proportionally, some of those have been actually admitted to hospital because their carer was too unwell to care for them. And so they needed to be cared for in a place because their their mum or dad was too sick. Some of those needed um, oxygen. The majority of those, probably under 50 across the country, have needed a COVID treatment and a very small proportion have been to the intensive care unit. So whilst those numbers for a family might sound high relative to what pediatricians look after every single day in children's hospitals they are very low numbers and so it can be really reassuring that COVID remains a mild disease in children we will obviously continue to look out on this and that's I guess a summary of what's happened this year. We are hearing from different people that the current vaccinations that adults have um, is probably still good enough for the mutations that are happening with this particular coronavirus. Does that mean that if the mutation happens to change in a way where our children could get sicker, that if they had the same vaccinations that we had, they would also be more protected? If that's how they're trying to reassure adults that are vaccinated, that the variants could still be, we're still protected Um, as far as we know from the variants that we've currently seen by the vaccines that we have, I'm just wondering if the delay in vaccinating our kids might actually end up biting us um, in the butt if the mutation continues. There's a lot of there's a lot in that question, Siobhan. So I'll I'll try and unpack it as structurally as I can. The first thing is that all of the COVID vaccines that are available in Australia are directed to mountain immune response to the spike protein. And so that is why we think that the vaccine will continue to work against the variant. We have only had a very short amount of time and it has been well reported in the media that there are more mutations within this current spike protein. And so there is a concern that it may not work nearly as effectively as for the previous variants of concern. And so that is work that's currently being investigated and looked at. I don't think that there is cause for alarm or cause for rush or worry that children currently in Australia not being vaccinated puts them at greater risk of this particular variant. I do think there will be a vaccine program for 5 to 11-year-olds in the near future in Australia. And decision-making around that is looking at the available data that has accumulated from the clinical trials. And in the clinical trial that 
the vaccine has been approved based on internationally, the Pfizer vaccine, there was only 3,000 children across the globe who received the vaccine. And so not enough to really understand what some of the side effects that have emerged throughout 2021 in adults receiving COVID vaccines might look like for children. And so because of that, there has been, I guess, a cautious approach in Australia to ensure that we don't approve and promote a vaccine before we have sufficient information around that safety level. And we expect that that information will emerge very, very quickly, and we expect to have that in the next couple of weeks. I am not someone who's on the decision-making committees for vaccination in Australia, but I do understand the process and deliberation that they're making at the moment to really come up with the best approach for five to 11-year-olds in Australia. And then obviously most of your listeners have kids who are under five years of age and currently there is no vaccine approved for that age group. But I expect that there will be in the very near future. I expect there'll be clinical trial results for two years to five years and then for six months to two years of age early in 2022. And ATAGI and the Therapeutic Goods Administration, the TGA, will follow that same considered approach, looking at the available data, looking at the current um, need and trying to provide the best possible and safest possible recommendations for use of those vaccines in the Australian childhood population. Um, so with um, the testing, the clinical tests of the vaccines for children, how do they determine that safety? You mentioned there that there were 3,000 children who had taken the vaccine. I had thought that it was very hard to test vaccines in children because of their age, obviously. So is it about giving it to children to see how they'll respond? It, I was even saying that makes me kind of shudder. I'm sure it's not that, it's not that uh, un, unregulated, I guess, but it, it, how, how do we know when they're safe? Those are great questions. And if I talk about the way in which vaccine approvals occur, um, it hopefully will unpack some of that. So essentially what they've done with this particular age group was first of all, look um, what we call phase one. And so they tried to find what was the best dose of a vaccine to mount an antibody response that was equivalent to a young adult. And so they actually found in those very early studies, which only gave the vaccine to a small number of kids, and those children would have been consented, their parents would have given permission for them to be part of the study, and they would have been fully aware of all of the risks and possible benefits of being part of that clinical trial. And clinical trials to advance care of children happen across Australia and across the world and they are the best way to answer questions when we have a new sort of technology or a new vaccine to understand how it might work. So that early phase was to find out what was the best dose and they actually found that a third of the adult dose created sufficient antibody response in children to proceed with a much lower dose. And so whilst the adult dose is 30 micrograms, the pediatric dose is 10 micrograms. And so that was really important early information and showed that the antibody responses were very robust, higher than that achieved for um, 16 to 25-year-olds with the 30 microgram dose with just the 10 microgram dose. And so that, I guess, is the new 
model for the pediatric vaccine and it is the dose that's being trialled, I believe, in some of the younger age groups as well. So the next phase of a clinical trial is really finding more children and with that really appropriate consenting process that families give their permission for um, children to be involved. There are lots and lots of safety checks that are done with all of these children to make sure that they're not getting more sick because of the vaccine. And in that clinical trial, about 3,000 children received the vaccine and about another 1,500 did not. And so they compared the likelihood of children getting COVID between those two groups. But the rate of infection was very, very low. And so from that, they were able to show that the vaccine was more protective than not receiving the vaccine. And they were also able to show that the side effects that vaccine recipients experienced um, were similar to the side effects that were experienced by adults who received the vaccine and were similar to those that probably most parents who are listening in have experienced some of when they've received their COVID vaccine. So things such as a fever, arm ache is is a strong one, feeling tired, and also feeling, I guess, just um, some headaches as well. So those were the common symptoms that occurred in the age group. So clinical trials are really important to answer these questions and to provide the evidence that we need to be able to inform vaccine programs and to also build confidence for families trying to decide whether or not to get their child vaccinated, either with a COVID vaccine or any of the vaccines to understand how that process works and to be able to make really good decisions for them and their family. And as an infection specialist, I strongly recommend vaccination because I see in the hospital what can happen for children who are not vaccinated. And that's talking more about other infectious diseases rather than COVID per se. And I think that the challenge has been in trying to consider the need for a vaccine most for COVID most of the information for children in Australia and that has been borne out throughout the pandemic since it began early in 2020 is that whilst children can get the infection with COVID they don't get very sick and so the benefits of vaccination are probably going to be the indirect benefits so they're not going to prevent hospitalization in the majority They're not going to prevent ICU admissions or even death because those rates are so, so low in children. But they may help us get a better sense of stability and a better understanding and ability for kids to live their lives normally. And we've seen children throughout the pandemic have really had to grapple with a lot of inconvenience as well as rules that have restricted their activities in order to protect the whole population. And so I hope that in 2022, we will see a lot less of that and a lot more ability for children to be able to get about the business that they do best, which is playing, which is learning, which is going to school and which is sports and other social activities. So for families, that I think now is probably the highest priority. And I do believe that the vaccine will help with that. But we have a, a way to go before we achieve that here in Australia. One of the side effects that I know people talk about 
and are worried about from, I think it was the Pfizer vaccine, was um, a muscle strain around the heart or, or some kind of heart palpitations as a response to the vaccine. Have you seen any of those sorts of side effects in the vaccines for children? So that's a great question. And that's often called myocarditis or pericarditis. But I love the way that you explained it better as a muscle strain around the heart, because that's exactly what people are feeling. We know that the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, both of which are mRNA based vaccines, have this signal of a higher rate of heart-related effects in particularly adolescents and young adults who receive it. Those I guess side effects did not come out in the clinical trials, but became evident as more people received the vaccine because they're very rare events occurring in one in tens of thousands of people. So yes, we have been seeing cases of myocarditis and pericarditis in adolescents who received the vaccine. And our, I guess, need to be cautious about introducing this vaccine for children for five to 11 year olds is really to understand better as millions of children receive this vaccine in other countries over the next few months, what that risk profile might look like and how we will continue to maintain a, a great vaccine uptake and manage any side effects that might emerge. So it's a really tricky space. Once again, the majority of children will not have a heart-related problem from the vaccine, but because it is occurring and because we, we know about it, we need to make sure that we factor that into decision-making around when this vaccine is made available um, for children in Australia. Most people who have had those heart-related concerns have needed to be admitted to hospital, have had one or two days in hospital, and then predominantly get better very quickly after that. The studies are ongoing to understand better if there's any long-term concerns because of that heart condition. And so far, there's no signal to suggest there is, but that's studies that are continuing on. And you mentioned that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines that were used for adolescents, are those the ones that are being used for younger children in the testing and are they the ones that we'll likely see being used for children under 12? The Pfizer vaccine, which is also called Comirnaty or Comirnaty, depending on what accent you choose, uh, <laughs> is the one that was we have published data that has had clinical trials for children and is the vaccine that's been considered for this age group. As I mentioned, it's a third of the adult dose. And so we also need to procure the correct vials, which have a different coloured top on them, to make sure that kids do get vaccinated with the right dose. Because as you can imagine, when someone's drawing up a vaccine, if they don't have the correct vial, then it's potentially able to give a higher dose to a child and that could put them at a higher risk of having some of these complications. So Australia is currently working to get access to that correct paediatric dose as well and the paediatric vials to make sure that kids um, receive the exact one that they're supposed to. And it is um, at the moment the Pfizer brand has been modified for use in children and it's the one that's been studied and is available in the Australian adult population. So globally there are other vaccines that are being trialled in children 
that are not currently part of the Australian program. And so I'm not going to talk a lot about those ones, but there are definitely different vaccines in different areas of the world. And we may well find more information emerges about COVID vaccines for five to 11 year olds early next year. So thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. It was fun. That's Dr. Asha Bowen. She's an infectious disease paediatrician at Perth Children's Hospital and the Telethon Kids Institute. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.